So I mentioned earlier, today we're going to talk about meals, but before we get there, I just want to recap what we have been talking about over the past five weeks or so. We've been talking about the dream. Living the dream in each letter has stood for a different part of our Christian life. First, devotion. But our houses be filled with the Word of God, with music that brings Him joy, with, with art that teaches of his, his love, of His plan of salvation, of His promises. We talked about rest, taking a moment from our busy, crazy, hectic lives and every day making sure to have Sabbath rest, not just being lazy, but spending time with God and with others being recreated. We talked about Eucharist here, gathered this morning to receive the body and blood of Christ, and now that feeds us and sends us off into life to do all of these things. And finally, last week, action. Not just big service trips or projects, but but that integrity of everyday living with the Lord. And a common theme that kind of has woven throughout all of these is is this rhythm of life. A daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm to to set us on our way. Not some extravagant over-the-top extremes, but simply even the mundane reality of everyday life. And then in those moments, Jesus goes with us. The very Lord we receive today in the Eucharist goes with us. And so even the church goes with us and dwells with us and walks with us each day. And so today we come to the idea of of meals. And I think it would be fair to say meals seem maybe the most common of them all, the least religious of them all. All the other ones we have excuses and probably have missed at times. You know, devotion we have laid off to the side for a period of time or we've forgotten to rest because we've been so busy or we've missed Eucharist or we just haven't lived with the integrity we know we should. But meals, meals we run to at least three times a day, sometimes more. We're kind of like hobbits where they have 11 meals every day and you just snack all the time. We love food. We are driven to food. But food is more than just taking in something into your body. Food is more than just receiving some energy or carbs. It's about how we eat and about why we eat. Some people would say we eat simply for survival. That we're just like the animals. We need food to to live another day, so we're just going to eat. It's our instinct. It's our desire. And so I'm going to fulfill that desire. Other people may eat for pleasure. Food is great. Food is really good. And so you run to the bacon or the steak or the Sour Patch Kids and you find great joy there. It it tastes good, but the interesting thing is, if it's just for survival, then how small it is. If it's just for pleasure, then how quickly that fades. And that first taste is never quite as good the next time, and so you have more and more and more and more until you eat a whole five-pound bag of Sour Patch Kids and you're disappointed that all it's left you with is a tummy ache. It's not enough. No, I I would say meals are more than just survival. Meals are more than just fulfilling my own individual pleasure. Meal is a source of communion with each other. That's what they are made to be. Time together, to share our lives together as we even share our food. This is why some of our most important moments in our life are all surrounded by food. Get together for a wedding, and what do you do afterwards? You eat to celebrate with joy and thanksgiving. 
A few weeks ago with Pastor Shawhorn's retirement, what did we do all day? We ate and ate. And around food, we shared our memories. And we laughed and we had great joy. And there's other times we eat too, because it's not always joy. After a funeral, we gather for a meal to share memories of those who are now with the Lord. And we reflect on their lives and the joys they brought us, but also with sadness. Around meals, we have a time to open our hearts to each other and to share our joys and our sufferings, our pains and our elations, our successes and our failures. Around a table, we have time to share life with each other. And in doing so, we also share life with God because we open with prayer to give thanks for the food we have received, but also to invite him into our table, into our midst. And so this rhythm of meal, of preparing and setting and partaking, it's like a little Eucharist in our homes each day. That as we hunger and thirst for this this food, we may hunger and thirst more for Jesus. Like Jesus said to the Israelites, he told them, the bread from heaven that your fathers ate and they died, I now am the living bread. Whoever eats of me shall never die. Our meals point us to the one who feeds us and quenches our thirst eternally. And so meals become a spiritual and a communal exercise in our faith. And so it matters then how we eat. Again, if if we just eat for survival, then it's just get what you can as fast as you can and just scarf it down. There are times at our house that as we're setting the table, that the food is in bellies before we can even get to prayers. Maybe you have experienced that with your own children at points. That's a very real reality. And we try to teach our kids, no, this is not just about survival. How quick can I get done? It's about spending time together as we eat this food. Or if food is just about pleasure, then just go to the all-you-can-eat buffet and just eat and eat and eat and eat until your heart is content or until you're sick from too much consumption. But if it's a spiritual reality, a practice, then we should be more careful about how we eat. This is what the readings we're, we're getting to. Ecclesiastes talks about the fact that we should find joy in our eating of food and drinking. We should find joy in these things, even in our toil. Though God has given us these things, and they are temporary. They are like a vapor. They will come and go, but enjoy them, for they are good gifts from God. Don't idolize them. Don't make them more than they are, but do enjoy them. There's nothing wrong with that. But he also says to enjoy it in the company of of a wife or a spouse. See, we are meant to enjoy these things in company. And this is what the early church did, and we see that in Acts. Not only would they worship in the temple, but then they would break bread together. They'd open their lives together. And they were so generous, and they were so giving and so welcoming in their homes that others came to believe. No one could find fault with them. Everybody loved them because they were compassionate and welcoming and generous with what God had already given them. That's the life we're called to as disciples of Christ. And then Jesus comes and he visits with Mary and Martha. And Martha is so busy serving while Mary just sits at the feet of Jesus. You could be a little annoyed by Mary. Why won't she clean or cook or prepare the table to make things nice? And she sits there. Because to her, the fact Jesus is in her midst 
her Lord is in her midst is the most important thing. There's time to eat with God. And so she spends a moment just receiving from him. Not worried about what impressions her and Martha may make, what impressions their house may make, but simply being with Jesus for a meal. It's a spiritual approach. It's an intentional approach. Davis dinners are something of legend. Seriously. My parents, my parents would always, they would work a lot of late nights, and so they would finally come home. And sometimes dinner would be for 7 o'clock, let's say. Mom would say dinner will be ready by 7, which really meant 8 if we were lucky. She would say, 10 more minutes, get everything ready. 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. And it'd usually be like another hour. On the kitchen, in the kitchen, there was always a platter. Not just a plate, like a platter of cheese and crackers and cheese. We were Wisconsinites after all. And there were always bottles of wine. And we would laugh and we would joke and we would yell at each other, setting the table and getting things ready and helping with cooking and all the other ridiculousness to sit down and take a moment of actually peace and quiet to thank God for the meal and then to eat and laugh and share memories and catch up. It's one of our, it's one of our great joys. And it doesn't matter what mom cooks or what dad cooks or what we, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that we're all together sharing this meal together. And not only that, what I appreciate about them so much is they would always have an open door to their meals. When I was in college, they would constantly invite over all my friends to come eat with them. We were about an hour away. And even in high school, they would always have an open door that friends could always come and there would always be food. We'd figure it out, whatever it was. And even now, they still have an open door. We met fascinating people, some of whom even stayed with us through the church and other places that mom and dad said, hey, come, let's eat. Let's share a meal. In fact, some people in our congregation have gone through Milwaukee and stopped at mom and dad's. So if any of you are ever up in Milwaukee and want to meet Deb and Bob Davis, you're welcome to. They would love to have you. They would love to have you. And they taught me a spiritual look at food and meals. That it was time to be together. It was being human. That's what we were created for. Now, some of us say already, it's a luxury, it's a luxury. If it is a luxury to be able to sit down and eat together, should we not be going for that even more? Should we not be searching and seeking that out even more, not less? Because it is a luxury that we get to enjoy. I mean, ask yourselves, what keeps you from a dinner table? With your family or with others? What keeps you from the dinner table with other people? We can blame our busy schedules. We can blame microwaves or television. We can blame McDonald's. But they are only a symptom of something we were already choosing. Sacrificing the community for the sake of me. For the individual. To treat meals and food more as survival or means of gaining pleasure than community. Because it is an investment of time and time is so precious. Time is so very precious. But is there any better way to spend it? Our table is growing. Soon we're going to go from six plates to seven. I have to laugh because when we first moved here, a very kind 
couple gave us their dining room table that had some wear and tear on it from their own family life. And since then, we have worn and torn it too with forks and knives and markers and crayons and everything. Children. And I laughed because there were two leaves that came with it and those were in the basement when we first got it. We just had Desmond, I think. And uh, since then, you know, we'd bring the leaves up when family would visit or people would visit and we'd bring it back down. Now those leaves are a permanent fixture of our table. They're there all the time. And our door is always open for people to come and eat, to share their life with us. Just grab another plate. Yet some of us go the other way. For some, seven table settings become six, three becomes two, or two becomes one. A child leaves for college. A couple years after having children now are alone, or even a widow. And what do you do in those situations? When we, it's grieving. When we move plates off our table, there's a time of grief. And the quiet can be deafening. Don't just run in front of a television. Don't do it. Do you believe God is at your table? Do you believe Jesus is at your table? Then sometimes it's not a bad thing to sit in silence and to just spend time with God, eating a meal, and crying out for his voice. And maybe it will come in the bite of bacon, where instead of just scarfing it down, you can take a moment and just appreciate every bite without all the noises and with all the distractions. To just take a moment being. But even beyond that, maybe it's a call to an open door. To invite others to share a meal with you. Or to go somewhere and enjoy a meal with another. That we as Christians, just as the early church, would would eat together, would share meals together, would be human together. We are a family of faith. We do this all together. In an age of locked doors, I think we need to start being more open. More like Mary and less like Martha, worried about what our houses look like and instead just being happy that we have company. Because the Lord will bless that. You will meet people you never imagined. You will interact with people you could never have dreamed of. Our connection groups, I'm I'm going to be announcing connection groups at the end. We have small groups beginning again, our connection groups, to connect you to each other. And a lot of those revolve around food. And that's great. That's great. It's amazing how the simple breaking of bread and eating cheese and crackers can open up our hearts to share the deepest secrets of our life and to find true healing and celebrate together in, in community and find true joy as we're at a table to simply discuss about our days and what's going on, not the, the news or the, the, the numbers we can rattle off and statistics, but, but to truly open up our lives to each other, to talk to each other. I want you to look at the person next to you in the pew or in front of you or behind you. Look around, look around. Not the person you came with. <laughs> Cheaters. What is stopping you from asking that family over for lunch today? What's keeping you? Don't have enough food? Get some on the way home. House isn't clean enough? Who cares? 
They won't care either if they listen tonight, today. My family was here last night, and I mentioned this. And so, kid you not, as I was leaving, I invited the whole Asbury family over to my house for dinner. Because my son, Desmond, said, we need to invite them over for dinner because of what you said in your sermon. Okay, son. <laughs> Luckily, they had dinner plans, so we... Poor Rachel had cooked a soup, and we're like, well, we'll get Little Caesar's pizza if we need to. It'll be fine. Because this is what it means to be human. Let me ask you this, before you go through all the excuses why the person next to you can't come over for lunch. If it was Jesus, would your answer be different? Would you make room at your table? Would you set out another chair and another plate? Brothers and sisters, as we bring together this homily, as we talk about this living the dream and this life together of faith, it's hard. It's hard. There are challenges along the way, but this is simply who we are called to be. And there are moments probably for one of these at least, if not for many, if not for all of them, that you thought to yourself, I could never do that. That's too hard. That's too much. That's not for me. And I ask you to surrender that and bring it to God in prayer. To ask God to enter your life and that of your family and truly work in your hearts. Our problem is not that we dream too much and too big. Our problem is that we dream too little, that we hope for too little. Do you truly believe that God can come into your life and transform your heart? It's not about you trying harder. It's not about you mustering up some strength and courage you never knew you had. It's not about that. It's about laying it at the foot of the cross and basically doing nothing more than asking Jesus to come in, which he already does. To humbly come to the altar today and, and not get for yourself, Jesus, but to receive him who gives himself to you. That we would desire the world less and desire time with our God and relationship with our God above all. To truly treat him as, as a father, as a brother, as a savior. And then we do this not for ourselves, but for our children, to be cliche. It's the greatest thing I have. is from my parents teaching me how to live the faith every day. Not in extravagant ways, but in the mundane. Over green bean casserole and tuna fish salad sandwiches. And to find Jesus even in those places. And my hope is that my children the children's children of my parents will also receive that gift and pass it on to their children. That they too may receive this teaching of God and be faithful to it until the end of time, throughout all generations. For to such belong the kingdom of God, the good gifts of our fathers. For to such belongs the wedding feast, the banquet, to which today we're all invited to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.